All right. Well, I have the awesome privilege of uh, having the opportunity to sit down and uh, let the most beautiful woman in the world, who also happens to be an incredible Bible scholar and preacher, as well as a mother, uh, she is... Uh, affectionately known by everyone as Superwoman because uh, she handles our three boys and uh, does an amazing job. Uh, really four. There's four little children in our house because I'm one. Uh, I don't deny that. I am definitely one. And uh, she's been working uh, hard in the midst of all of that. And uh, I hope tonight, you know, above all else, there's nobody more qualified to speak on worship than somebody who's just a true worshiper. Somebody who's not, it doesn't, it's not for show. It's not for anybody else's approval. It's not for money. It's not for position. It's just because God is good. And, uh, and he's had a great and profound impact on their life. And I can wholeheartedly say uh, without a doubt uh, that my wife is one of those people. So would you please welcome the amazing, awesome, incredible, beautiful Mary Kitchen! Okay. Awesome. Thanks, babe. That's quite an introduction. Um, awesome. Well, um, yeah, I want to speak about worship tonight. I don't know. It was just on my heart to do. He, uh, Pastor Paul asked me to speak like a month ago, and I was like, okay, I don't really speak, but okay. And um, so I don't know. That was just a, the topic that came to mind, and um, I just love that basically every single point that I have tonight was already stated in worship as we were praising God, and it's, I just love it when God does that. If he's got something to say, he's going to say it, and um, so we want to have our hearts open to, to hearing him tonight and receiving all that he has for us, so um, let's just jump right in. Um, I'm just curious, for the students who are in the program, what kind of a, is it, do you guys have mostly a church background? Who, who was not, who doesn't have, sorry, who um, has had like no kind of a church background whatsoever? Anybody? Okay, cool. Who maybe grew up a little bit in church kind of sometimes? All right, just curious. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know, that was in my mind because I always think, you know, when people come into worship services um, and church services, you know, how weird did they think we are? You know, we're lifting our hands and shouting and singing and clapping and, you know, so I don't know, just curious. But, um, but yeah, uh, that's, that's one of the ways that we praise God is we, uh, the Bible has all kinds of instructions of, you know, the different ways that we can pour out our love on him. And that's what I'm going to get into tonight. So, um, but, uh, okay, you know how sometimes somebody might invite you over to their house and you go and you're there and you're like, trying to strike up a conversation and you're excited to be there and then the person is like kind of ignoring you and they're like checking their phone and they're like do they really want me to be here they invited me over but they're not really talking to me like what's going on you know i don't know um so um just as so you can be in the same room as a person Maybe they even invited you over. You can be in the same room with them, but not be directly engaging with them. And you can be with somebody, but not fully experiencing the person of who they are. And so God 
has invited us over. God has extended us an invitation. The God of the universe, the maker of all things, the king of kings. And he says, come and sit with me. Sit at my feet. I want to teach you. I want to love you. I want to heal you. So that's the opportunity that we have when we come together and worship. Or when you're alone in your house and you have time to worship or pray or be in your word. And so what an opportunity that we have to sit with God and not just to worship him, but for him to engage with us in return. It's an exchange when we're in the presence of God. And it's not like that with other religions. It's, it's all one-sided. It's all, okay, you know, bring your sacrifices, you know, do this, do that, and maybe, you know, things will turn around for you. No, no, it's always, it's always an exchange with God. So um, what is worship? Just in a nutshell, basic definition, worship is our response to God for who he is and what he has done. It's the heart expressing itself um, in different forms of adoration. The dictionary defines worship as the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity to honor with religious rite. So that's kind of interesting. And my... um, Pastor Paul already touched on this. You know, when you come from a background of addiction, you know, it's like you do it religiously. It owns you. It consumes you. But now we have the opportunity to have that flipped. And we can be consumed by the presence of God. So one just takes and it leaves us empty and void. And then one fills and it satisfies and it heals. So um, to understand what worship is, I think it's important to understand what the Bible says about the presence of God. Because, you know, we always hear, come, let's, let's enter into the presence of God. And, but then it says in the Bible, God's everywhere, right? Like, he's, he's everywhere, right? You know, um, so or there are three types of the presence of God as described in Scripture, uh, just to help us understand One is the omnipresence of God. That is the type of the presence of God that is everywhere. God is omnipresent. That's one of his his characteristics. He is everywhere. Um, Psalm 139.7 says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. So God is everywhere. He's in everything. He created everything. And two, there's the inner presence of God. That's one we decide to give our hearts to Jesus and say, God, I'm going to follow you. And we lay down our lives for him. He comes and dwells inside of us. That's the inner presence of God. That's number two. And then the third type of the presence of God is the manifest presence of God. This is the made known or the realized presence of God. And um, that, that's the type of presence that we're talking about when we come together in a worship service. And, and you know, oftentimes the, the worship leader says, let's enter into the presence of God. Yes, that's what we're talking about, the manifest presence of God, the type of presence that we can actually almost tangibly feel him and hear him and, and, um, and receive. So um, now when Adam and Eve sinned back in Genesis 3, the word says they hid from God. How can you hide from God if he's everywhere? 
They hid from his manifest presence. They had the opportunity to actually walk and talk with God in the garden before sin entered the world and before the fall of man. They had that face-to-face encounter relationship with God. And so when they hid from God, um, they, when they sinned, they hid from God. So it's not possible to leave his omnipresence but it is possible to leave his manifest presence. And that's oftentimes that feeling that we get when we know we've done something wrong. This, it's the sin that separates us from the presence of God. And so um, in Jonah, it says, Jonah 1.3 says, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And the story of Jonah is that God called him to go preach to the city of Nineveh, which was a very wicked city, a very evil city, and he was a Jewish man. And God said, go tell them about me. Go tell them I'm going to destroy the city unless they repent. And he said, no. No, thanks. You know, um, don't like those people. No. So, and he went on a ship and went the opposite direction. So he was willfully disobeying God. And in that sense, he left the presence of God. Um, so sin separates us. Um, and I'm not talking about m- mistakes. A lot of times there's room for human error. You know, when we're following God, and we're trying to learn this thing and figure out how to be a disciple and figure out how to walk with God. Um, you know, he's a patient teacher. He's a gentle shepherd. And, um, you know, so there's, there's human mistakes that we make. Like, for example, if I go to the grocery store and Will's like, hey, get me some seltzer. And I totally forget, which is so common. I'm very forgetful. Um, you know, that's just, you know, that's just making a mistake. But I'm talking about when you're in willful disobedience to God, that's the kind of sin and choice that's going to separate you from the ability to feel his presence with you. Um, and uh, so let's see. The psalmist said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see are experiential words. Not just hope and pray, those are faith-based. Not just study and memorize with our intellect, although we need all of that. You know, we can't come to God unless by faith. And he wants us to worship him with his mind as well, with our mind. Um, But then he says, taste and see. That's what he wants to give to us. Taste and see that I am good. So that's what God wants to do with us. And I think it's important, too, to realize that we're not chasing after a constant spiritual high. We're not chasing after feelings that can get dangerous because once the feelings are gone, then we're gone, you know, and, and that's like most marriages. No, oh, I don't love him anymore, you know, or most relationships, you know, it takes discipline and maturity in order to have a healthy relationship with somebody. Um, so for example, Will and I are kind of in this busy season right now because he's getting his master's. And um, so he has classes a lot of nights. And so we don't see each other quite as often as we used to. And so um, it just kind of has caused us to have to sit down and have conversations like, okay, you know, we're really busy. How can we keep a healthy connection in the midst of this busyness? You know, how can we still feel like we're together in things? And, you know, what do I need? What do you need? 
Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's actually been good for us in one sense because it's caused us to become a whole lot more um, determined to put attention on our relationship to maintain its health. And so, um, and a lot of times that's, that's how it is with God. God has given the church this picture of marriage. First of all, God invented marriage. And um, it's a, really a picture of um, our relationship with him. And the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. Sorry if that's girly. It's in the Bible. Um, so, um, in a marriage, I'm not pursuing the feelings that Will gives me. I'm pursuing him. And there's a big difference. Because if I'm just pursuing the feelings that he gives me, that's selfish. And it's going to cause me to treat him selfishly. But if I'm pursuing him and the person of who he is, and I want to know him, and I want to see and experience all that he is, then it's mutual. And that's what God wants us to do, to come to him and to just enjoy who he is and be able to receive and give. Um, So it is possible to live in the manifest presence of God, and that's our aim. So um, now that we understand how the presence of God is related to worship, I want to give you three descriptions of worship. And I'll, go, I'll try to go through these kind of quick. Um, so one, worship is our response. Our response to God for who he is and what he's done. Like I said, Psalm 47 says, Come, everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise. Why? For the Lord, is the, mo- uh, the Lord most high is awesome. He is the great king of all the earth. That's who he is. He subdues the nations before us, putting our enemies beneath our feet. And that's what he's done. So just as a scriptural reference there, worship is our response first. Two, worship is a lifestyle. So we don't just come and sing songs. We don't just come and clap our hands and try to look spiritual. It has to move beyond the music, and worship is our life. And it's, it's the way we work hard. It's the way that we treat each other with kindness and love. You know, um, everything that we do is supposed to be an act of worship unto God. And Romans 12 says, let your bodies be a living sacrifice. This is truly the way to worship him. And then the third point is worship is warfare. And this is one of my favorites. Because here as we clap and worship at one level, spiritual warfare is being waged at another level. Um, And there is a story in the Old Testament um, of the Israelite army, and they were outnumbered by the enemies that were coming against them, and they didn't know what to do. And so they, ca- they called out to God, and they decided to send out the singers and the instrumentalists, the worshipers, ahead of the army. And so they went out first, and they sang, Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And it says, At the very moment they begin to sing and give praise to God, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. So he caused the enemy armies to be confused and destroy themselves, and they didn't even have to engage in the battle. So when we worship in the midst of a battle, it demonstrates our trust in God. Sometimes we have to sit back okay, I'm not going to try to do this thing the way I think it should be done, or I'm not going to try to defend myself in the way I think I should. Um, We worship God, and that displays our trust in him and that he knows how to solve the problem. So sometimes if you feel like you have 
enemy armies coming at you from every side, like you just can't get past this temptation, or you know, you just feel like everything is coming against you and you can't get your head clear. You just worship God. Hide away, steal away, get alone with God, worship him, thank him, and there will be breakthrough. So on a practical note, how do we worship? You know, what does that look like? Sometimes it's different for other religions and, you know, everybody does their thing. Um, here the Bible lays it out for us, makes it easy. Um, in the Hebrew language, now the Bible is not written in English. Um, you know, it's written in a couple different languages, but a lot of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Is that right? Okay. Um, not the scholar he said I was. <laughs> I was a music major. <laughs> okay. Um, in the Hebrew language, there are seven words that are transformed by our one, uh, translated by our one English word, praise. So in the Bible, you see the word praise, praise, praise. That could be one of seven, seven different words. So I'm going to give you those words here. So the first one is halal. I totally don't know how to pronounce any of these, just so you know. Um, halal is a primary w- root word for praise. And this is where we get our word hallelujah. So this is kind of a basic word for praise. It means to praise, to shine, to boast, to rave, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. And this is what David did. King David in the Old Testament, one of the most famous kings of the Bible, um, he danced before the Lord in worship um, in what would be considered undignified for a king. And, um, And it wasn't for show. You know, it wasn't for all of that. It, he, that was his heart, genuinely worshiping God. And so, um, so that's an example for halal. So number two, this word is yada. Yada. Yada, yada, yada. Okay. Literally means to extend your hands, to throw out your hands, or to revere or worship with extended hands. So this is why we all lift our hands. And isn't it just natural of us when we get excited, when we go to a game, when we go to a concert or whatever, we lift our hands. And it's, na- it's a kind of a natural form of communication. Just ask any Italian. Come on, Camille. <laughs> so... Um, And then uh, also, um, like for myself, when I'm feeling closed off sometimes, or I'm just really, I'm not really getting into worship, it's, you know, I'm having a rough day or whatever, it takes me doing a physical action in order to move out of that place. Sometimes we just have to worship our way out of our feelings. And so um, when there's a step of faith in the physical realm, there's a shift in the spiritual realm. When there's a step of faith in the physical realm, there is a shift in the spiritual realm. And then this last point under, under the, the word yada, um, I think it's really significant. Um, a lot of times we hear, okay, let's lift our hands because we want to surrender to God. Absolutely. That's a sign of surrender. And I think for me, why sometimes it's hard for me to lift my hands is because it puts me in a vulnerable position. It's like, okay, wait a minute. I'm lifting my hands, and all of a sudden, this area that houses my heart is feeling unprotected. And it's like, okay. So if I lift my hands, that means the walls have to come down, and I'm literally opening up my heart to God. And that's the position that we want to be in. We want to have our spirits open to hear what he has to say, 
and receive what he has for us. And it can be, it can be, it can be scary. Um, physical expressions of worship like that demand a certain level of vulnerability. And I think we're really not good at that. And, um, you know, is it worth the risk? Well, with God, it always is because God will never shame a heart that makes itself open to him. Romans 10, 11 says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And that's the kind of father that he is. So that's two. So number three is Tauda. Tauda. Okay. Uh, it means to hold out your hands in an open position as if you are giving something to him or making vows to God. So this is a little different. This is, we're, we're giving our thanksgiving to God. And we're opening our hands because we're also believing that we're going to receive something back. So um, this term is used in scripture for thanking God for things received and for things not yet received. So this is an act of faith. Psalm 50, 14 says, make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows you made to the Most High. Then call on me when you're in trouble and I will rescue you and, will give, and you will give me glory. And then number four, shabak, means to shout, to address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph. Psalm 47.1 says, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Amen. And um, there was this one time I was leading worship back at our old church, and it was on a Wednesday night. It was kind of a nice, chill, relaxed atmosphere, and everybody's just kind of at the altar worshiping, and it's kind of a quiet moment, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to share something with them. And I was like, I don't know, you know, it's a little scary. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not real talkative. I don't say much unless I really have to. And, um, and so I just felt like, you know, I couldn't shake it. I knew if I didn't say something that I would be in disobedience to what the Spirit was telling me to do. And so um, I just started sharing and I said, listen, everybody, I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants everybody to know that you have permission to just shout and just to cry out to God. And then everybody just started crying, like, like shouting out to God, like the kind of desperate cry out to God cry. And it was just like a complete breaking in the atmosphere. And there was such a freedom and such an openness. And um, it, was, it was powerful. And the intensity that comes with shouting changes the direction of our will. And it strengthens our resolve. And it mutes the voices of doubt and fear. And I think that shouting, you know, sometimes, you know, just the buildup of stress and the buildup of everything in life, sometimes you just have to shout it out and get that, get that out, you know? <laughs> so just know that you have the freedom to do that, you know, in, in a worship setting. And so, um, and on your own too, your personal worship time, like that has been the most formative time for me is, you know, yes with everybody, but when I'm by myself with God. And um, so, yeah. Okay, number five, Barak means to kneel down and bless God. Psalm 95, 6 says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, 
And so in all the celebratory elements of worship that we bring to God, this one is where humility comes in. And it's an acknowledgement of our position. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. He is God. I am not. He is the creator. I'm the created one. And so we need to come before him with that humility. Um, Zamar means to pluck the strings of an instrument, a word used for joyful expression. So this covers all the instruments, and that's a fun one. Um, Psalm 57, 8 says, wake up my heart. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves to wake up, right? Uh, wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. So that's six. That's Zamar. Number seven, the last one is Tehla, is derived from the word halal. So it comes from the first one. Um, and means the singing of halals. We derive this word here, and I, I always see this word here in Isaiah 61, verse 3. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive tehla, or praise, instead of despair. So he's giving us a reason to sing. He's taken all of our hardship and our brokenness and our pain. And he says, here, I'm going to give you a garment of praise. And so um, now you know a little bit more of Hebrew. <laughs> but uh, so that's just a bit of an explanation of, of uh, some of the practical ways that we can come before God and bring him our worship. Um, so in closing, if the worship team want to go ahead and come back up, um, you know, God gives us all these great descriptions in his word for how to worship him. And I think it's important to say that, you know, we, we come to God on his term, not ours. So I think it's easy to say, oh, I don't know. I don't have a great voice. I don't, I don't really want to sing. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you sound. Lift that voice. And, you know, maybe I, I don't know. I'm not very expressive. I'm kind of quiet. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You know, God calls us to worship him in this way. And, and it's not about us. You know, it's about what he's done for us. And so, you know, don't be afraid of all the, you know, the pressure of oh, worship. You know, just a allow wh what God has done, allow the goodness of God to rise up in your heart and let it just come out. And so I just want to set a challenge before us as we close in this song in a minute. Um, you know, maybe step out and try a form of worship that's different than what you're used to. You know, maybe, maybe you are more expressive in nature. You know, maybe you, you love to shout and you love to sing loud for God. And it's great because it gives others freedom to do it. You maybe take a moment to quiet yourself and humble yourself or kneel or bow before the Lord. And I think sometimes we're afraid of silence in church and, and we're afraid of, um, you know, the feelings that come along with that, that um, examining our hearts and the silence, you know, it can be kind of scary. But, um, you know, we, we've got to have that. You know, we're afraid of those feelings maybe of conviction or of um, even sorrow, godly sorrow and, and grief even. It's okay to grieve in the presence of God. It's okay to not be joyful constantly. You know, we're, we're human. We're working through a process here. This is a program, you know. You can, you can ha go through the gamut of emotions in the presence of God during worship and allow him to just work, uh, you know, the process that he has you in, in the midst of his presence. Um, so don't be afraid to feel those things. 
Or maybe if, you know, you're, you're more shy and quiet, kind of like myself, you know, and maybe try lifting those hands. Maybe try shouting into God and experience the freedom that comes with that. So, yeah, let's, um, let's go ahead and, uh, and worship and close with a song. <laughs>